Hi, this is Hetty. And this is Tina. And this is Love and Inclusion in in the the Real World. world. Well, welcome back. Yeah, we're glad to have you here on episode five. Um, So last time we talked a little bit about um, when do you need an advocate? And our answer was pretty much always. Always. (laughs) You always need an advocate. Um, And we thought really this week we needed to sort of stop and take a few steps backwards so that we can really link up the idea of advocacy with inclusion. Like, why are we taking time to talk about advocacy when um, our podcast is called Love and Inclusion in the Real World? Um, True. That's a really great point. And and we talked about this, obviously, before we went live. And I I like that we're going to dive into that and give um, our listeners... An understanding of our why and why we yeah. feel that way. Yeah. And we can really just like open up a history book, disability rights history book, and see the clear connection between the work of advocates and activists and um, the strides or, I don't know, maybe baby steps <laughs> that we've made towards right. inclusion. I'm not sure exactly how to characterize it. Um because we're going to take you back to the 1950s. Mid-century. Huh? Mid-century. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Tina and I were talking about how like, wow, that's like almost 70 years ago and we're still, you know, having to work. Yeah. Um, and it feels like the work should be done, um, but it's. Well, because here's, here's a thing to keep in mind that, yeah, some of the stuff that we're going to talk about, some of the bills and stuff that were passed, were passed 70 years ago or almost 70 years ago. Right. Um but for those of you who a little civics lesson here, um, bills are not passed overnight. Right. So it was probably close to probably five to 10 years, possibly in the making before it got to that point. Mm-hmm. So I think we could almost say it was 80 years ago, although we don't know the exact time that these bills were proposed and brought, right. brought to people's attention. Yeah. So just to kind of give you that background. Um, and we always like to, um, We've mentioned before we're parents, and um, I think sometimes parents think that they maybe oh I'm not an advocate right like um, what we want to talk about the first the first study that we found was um, so in Minneapolis in 1950 um, a convention was held um, for friends and families of people with actually back then it was called the mentally retarded children. Um, we don't we say don't, that yeah, anymore. I was just don't, say, don't ever say yeah, that. Don't ever say that. <laughs> as everybody knows that that language is no longer um, acceptable. But I wanted to, to say it at this time because if you were to Google it, I didn't want you to be like, right. oh, they're giving us wrong information. So, um, But anyway, they met in 1950 at a national convention to form what we know today as the ARC. Yeah. And um, ARC, there's, ARCs are actually net, um, nationwide throughout the United States. Um, and... If you're not local, um, look up your local ARC chapter. And if you are local, look up your local ARC chapter. Um, I didn't mean to say don't look up your local ARC chapter. But um, so, and then, um, so in 1950, they met and um, formed the ARC. And then in 1975, um, a bill was passed called um, Educational for All Handicapped Children Act. Yeah, so... Really, like, look at that. In 1950, those parents got together and they really started to have a voice for their kids to Mm -hmm. say, how come my kid can't go to school? Right. Right. And there's just a direct connection between their work and 23 years later, the passage of 
what um, became the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. So um, that is the power of advocacy. Um, and, and the power of using your voice. Yep, right? the power of using your voice. And so then, um, again, in mid-century, 1947, New York, um, the Willowbrook School was opened. And the mayor of New York at that time said that um, people with intellectual disabilities um, who were being institutionalized there deserved the high, highest degree of tenderness and affection. Those were his words. Um, so the school was started with great intentions, intentions yes. right? It was um, built to house 4,000 people. And by 1969, 6,200 people were living there. Um, there was no school per se. And um, the advocacy of... Um, people who had worked there and then journalists who became involved really revealed that Willowbrook was really this hellish place. It really was. Um, yeah. Where people were being physically, emotionally, sexually abused. Um, many of the residents there were being used in medical experimentation. It just was really, really terrible. And um, through that um, kind of investigation and expose, we got to... Um, several pieces of legislation that really culminated in the Civil Rights of Institutionalized Persons Act of 1980. So that was kind of more community activism and advocacy that led to changes that really um, spurred the move towards deinstitutionalization, um, towards more community-based living. Right. So that was really important work that happened. And I mean, look at how many years that took too. Like a long time. Yeah. yeah like, um, and um, so just you know, keep in mind things take a long time. However, you know, I I do believe that we're getting better, and once people know better, they do better. Um, okay. And then another example of self advocacy. Um, Mid century again, World War II veterans. Um, they, um, when they would come back, they, they brought a whole new light to disability issues, yeah. right? Um, because, like, before, um, you know, there was things like Willowbrook, right? So all, all these individuals were institutionalized. They were so hidden. They were hidden, right? So they didn't really have have a voice. Right. We had these American heroes coming back. Right. Who couldn't do their jobs anymore or who um, were, you know, had lifelong injuries that were going to, Affect them, um, forever. affect them forever right. and and they were like hey we need rehabilitation we need um vocational training and um america was like yeah we need to provide for these men and so it just brought the issue of disability rights into a different light a different light right and so then more people with disabilities were able to really build on that momentum um to also say hey um, right. we we need to have access to buildings. We need to be able to go to restaurants. We need to be able to go to government buildings so that we can be um, participative citizens. Like mm -hmm. these are really important and, and pieces. Like, and those things are like little things that you don't even think about today, right? Like um, until you need it, right? But like right. a curb cut out, for example. And, um, and there was a study and Hedy, you might, I'm sure you probably have read the study. So I'm just gonna kind of paraphrase of what I remember from it. Um, but there was a study that talked about like the, the stuff that has given individuals access, like curb cutouts, mm -hmm. elevators, that kind of stuff. It was actually p more 
people without disabilities used it than that than those with disabilities. For sure. And what they did was they were looking at like a mom with a stroller mm-hmm. or somebody on a bike, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, or you just have your hands full and you have a bunch of bags and you use an elevator, right? Like, and how many times has an individual used an elevator and didn't really need to, right? Right. Like, I mean, I know if I'm going up to the 17th floor, there's a good chance I'm using the elevator. Right. <laughs> I have legs that'll take me up to right. the floors, but not without complaint. Sure. Right, exactly. Um, and so, you know, early in the 1970s, the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 was passed, and most people um, might have heard the term Section 504, and that's um, the Rehabilitation Act. That's the part of it that really pertains to people with disabilities. Um, however, the regulations for it, for it really hadn't been signed, and so the legislation really wasn't doing anything for people with disabilities. And so in 1977, there were nationwide sit-ins in the kind of the central one of those was in San Francisco. And people with disabilities advocated for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, they staged a 26-day sit-in that um, really resulted in a contingent being sent to Washington, D.C. to pressure the government to sign those 504 regulations so that people could gain access to the public square, so to speak. Right. Public um, domain. Yeah. So again, advocacy and activism. Right. Straight to the development of inclusive practices. So um, if we go with our definition of advocacy, um, which is um, a series of actions taken and issues highlighted to change the what is into what should be, considering that this what should be is a more decent and a more just society, um, I think that we can clearly see that advocacy points towards inclusion. You can't get to inclusion right. if you don't start with advocacy. If you can't get into the building, right? Right. Uh, you can't have inclusion, right? Right. And, so, um, and that was one thing that we were talking about is we wanted you guys to really understand why, in, in our eyes, advocacy is so important. Right. Um, and hopefully just by giving you that little bit of that history background, data background, um, will kind of make you understand why we feel advocacy taking the what is into the what should be and why that's important. And I I think it's easy for, to some extent, for any of you out there who have sat in an IEP meeting and who have asked for your kid to have more time in general education, right, to be included um, in an extracurricular activity to to be part of the group, to have belonging, um, to really see yourself as an advocate, right, an activist yeah. who was driving inclusive practices. Like you have a part in that. And I want to kind of put it back on that because that made me think of something. So a couple of years ago, somebody said to me, wow, Tina, you're really an activist. And I, and at first I was offended mm-hmm. because I was like, an activist they they always just, you know, are so loud and boisterous. Like and the rebel and the rebels, yeah, yeah, you know. Um, and then, I, like, and then when I really looked up the meaning of it, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, yep. um, you know, so so when we say an advocate and an activist, you know, we mean the people that are going to make change and affect change for the positive. Yep. And, you know, and if that's you. Thank like, you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So I think last time we talked a little bit about the IDEA talks about um when you can have an advocate, right, right, that it's written right there in the law. Um, and so I think that we should just dive into, like, Tina and Hetty's top five things to look for <laughs> in an advocate. If you made your own list, you might 
get a different list. Right. But this is our list. Um, we'd love for you to like write in on our Facebook page and tell us things that you think we missed. Um, or things that you think are important. Things too, that you right? think are important. Yeah. So that everybody can see that, right? And so that other people can learn from that. Right. Because this um, is our point of view. And remember too that, you know, when you go to look for an advocate that everybody has a certain style. Like each yep. advocate has their own style. And, um, and we would highly recommend um, you talking to maybe a couple different advocates or a couple different family members. You know, remember we talked about who could be an advocate, right? Um, and, you know, making sure that you're you're comfortable with, with their style and how they're going to show up at the meeting. Because that's, you know, probably 101. Everybody needs to be comfortable. Absolutely. Because, okay. right, IEP meetings are hard enough. Right. Right. You don't want to go in with your, like your ally being somebody that you're you yourself are not comfortable with that's not a good starting point so i think that's great advice um so well let's talk about the top five things to look for in an advocate by tina and hetty right (laughs) um so number one knows idea and how your district applies IDEA. Definitely. And let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I want to kind of quote an attorney that I talked to one time and she, her, her quote was, um, when you interpret the law, you could interpret it many different ways, right? Mm-hmm. So um, even IDEA, IDEA um, can be interpreted many different ways, mm-hmm. right? And so what we mean by that is, you know, um, the advocate needs to have a great grasp of what um, IDEA stands for, but also um, they need to have a great grasp on how the school district applies it or or uses it, right? Like, um, I mean, I'm not trying to say that um, people use it wrong. That's not what I'm trying to say. Um, It's just... um, it's a broadly written law. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's like a, IDEA is written in a pretty broad fashion. Like if you think about like when it says the kids should be um, educated to the greatest extent right. possible. Right. Well, what does to the greatest extent possible right. mean exactly. exactly? Yeah. And so a school in, you know, Utah. Raleigh, North Carolina right. and a school in Las Vegas, Nevada could interpret to the greatest extent possible in two completely, two different, completely ways, different ways. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's really important to for your advocate to understand how your school district is applying IDEA right. day in and day out. Definitely. Really like how what's their approach, what's their philosophy, what is the depth of their resources. Right. Because like it or not, um, it often comes mm-hmm. to resources. And so um in addition to understanding the law, that advocate really has to understand how your school district is applying the law. Right. Um, and I think that, that that's like a non-negotiable, right? Like an advocate who doesn't know those two things is not going to be an effective professional advocate, so right. to speak. Right. Right. That's just like the entry-level knowledge, I think. I agree. Um, so. Okay, number two listens well to you and to your child, right? Like, um, so, you know, you want them to understand your strengths and your family values because you want somebody that's going to compliment you there, right? Right. You want somebody who knows that, um, Hedy, you show up this way and you're great at it. And because you don't want somebody to walk on your words or walk on, right, walk on you. Um, And also just as important as your child, right? What, um, 
what is your child wanting at the, or the students, however you want to look at it, right? But mm-hmm. um, what, what is your child? What are their wants and needs as well? Um, understand long-term goals, family and um, school's long-term goals. Know what's important to your child. And they have the ability, this is really, really big, to empower you and your child to be effective members of the IEP team and effective advocates, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's a shame to not um, sort of exercise your own strengths in an IEP right. meeting, right? Like, I don't think it's a great idea to go in and just let the advocate do it all. Like, you have strengths. And um, your kid, despite the fact that you're in a meeting where everybody's going to tell you what your kid can't do, right? your kid has strengths too. And those should be, like, on the table. And your, your advocate should really like bring those to the top. Right. Right. And even help you to see your own strength because in some situations, maybe you're not even seeing that. Exactly. And also um, one thing I like to remind, you know, families is you are the expert of your child. Right. Absolutely. And then even uh, uh, more of an expert is the child themselves. Right. Like, right. Of anybody, they know what they want more right. than anything. You know, and I'll just share, you know, I, I used Matt Cloven as um, an advocate when Cora was in the third grade and um, we went into a meeting and, And Matt said maybe three sentences the whole time. He was just like this stoic presence in the room. Um, And afterwards, he was like, you didn't need me at those times to say anything. Right. Like, you were doing just fine. I said what I needed to say to when he needed to when say, when right? he needed yeah. to say it. And, and that's a gift, right? Because then you walk away from that feeling like, Hey, you know what? I, like I have tools, right. I have knowledge. I have a perspective that's important. Right. And I have a right to put that perspective out on the table and make mm-hmm. it part of the discussion. So, well, and it validates, right. And, and it gave you, um, the tools to know that I am doing the right thing. Right? Absolutely. Like, I mean, there's something behind that too. Yeah, it was great. Um, so then number three, you want somebody who communicates well with your family. And that goes a little bit to the style that right. we talked about yeah. previously. Um, that communicates well with your student and communicates well with your school district. Right. So it really has to be a person who can relate on a lot of different levels. Right. Um, I like especially somebody who can bridge the like the language gap between oh, yeah. that educational jargon and just everyday talk. Right. Um, I think that's huge. I don't know. Have you ever been in a meeting and there's all the acronyms? Oh my gosh, there's so many acronyms, right? And and um, and people get overwhelmed with yeah. the acronyms. And if you're overwhelmed, I mean, even if you're not overwhelmed, there's a chance there's still somebody in the room that's overwhelmed. Yeah. And also I wanted to add to that too is um, remember Ryan that was here uh, podcast number yeah, two. number two. Yeah, number two. He, if you he, haven't heard Ryan, you should go back. You should go back Ryan. to listen number two because you need to hear Ryan. But anyway, um, he was over at our house for dinner the other night and uh, and I told him, you know, what our next podcast was about. And um, he said, my favorite meetings, remember he's a teacher, uh, my favorite meetings is when there's an advocate there because they help to ask those questions mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe the, maybe the rest of us are stuck at the moment. Yeah. Like, and so I just wanted to bring that, um, that aspect in from, uh, you know, a professional side. Right. A teacher's point yeah. of view. Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes educational words, um, like they can mean one thing to educators and another thing to 
families, right? Right. And and sometimes words feel kind of interchangeable. And so it's really great to have somebody who picks up on that, oh, like they're like they're saying the same thing in a different language. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. And who can help you even see that. Because sometimes you know, we get like really filled with anxiety and we're frustrated and we're right. really saying the same things. Exactly. We're just using a different words right. to do it. And a great advocate recognizes that and patches that. Totally. Yeah. And that's not uncommon in communication with anything, right? right. Like it's not just, um, sorry. Okay. So number four maintains perspective and helps you do the same, right? And that kind yeah. of, we kind of already talked about that, right? Like, um, helps you stay focused and helps me stay focused on the student, right? Yep. Um, and what will benefit them. Um, and we talked about this too when, when we had Matt too. And if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that one too. But um, helps you talk you off that ledge, right? Oh gosh, yes. Like, and kind of helps you, brings things into perspective, right? Like, okay, hold on a second. Like, is this the, is this the, you know, the, um, the hill you want to die on, right? Is right. this where you want to take this conversation? Because right now, where you're heading is not, I don't think, where you want to go, right? Because right. when we talked about this, this is what you told me was important. Yeah. Um, so when I use Matt, I got in this frame of mind where I just wanted to CC everybody. <laughs> you know, that I wrote. Like, I, I was going to CC the superintendent and the assistant <laughs> and the principal and the director of integrated. Like, I was just going to CC everybody. And he was like, hey, like, do you want to do that because you really think it's going to benefit Cora or do you want to do that because you're really mad and it's going to make you feel better about it to like jab everybody? And I was like, whoa, like, yeah, so, like, and all right, yeah, like, well truth bomb right exactly. there. Yeah. Um, and I needed to hear that and I needed yeah. an advocate who um, understood everything too. and felt yeah. comfortable enough to say that to Well, me. and, you know, I'll share something that Matt has said to me too that was like, oh, well, good, well done, right, is... Um, but again, you have to have a relationship with somebody because if somebody, if I didn't have a relationship with him and if he said this to me, but he was like, is this a, a Tina issue or a Brady issue? Right. And I'm like, wow, as much as, you know, we're like, keep it about the child, right? Like what is, what is the student's needs? And then, you know, to, and because he's not, or the advocate, right. Um, isn't, I mean, you know, when, when I'm in a meeting, that's my baby. Right. And right. When, He's taller than me, but he's my baby, right? And so um, there's a difference, with, and the advocate can help you with that perspective. Yeah, for sure. And so number then, five. Number five. So a great advocate is inclusion-minded and also solution-minded because somebody can have inclusion in their heart, right, and be, you know, really talk about inclusion a lot, but not really um, – be able to move towards that actually happening. Right. Yeah. Um, so you want someone who's going to presume the competence of your student, no matter what right. the evaluation says or the paperwork says. What the label says. What the label says. Right. You want somebody who 1,000% believes that your kid, given the right supports and the right um, uh, the right structures, the right, all those pieces, right. is going to learn. Um, listens to your student, no matter what their communication system is. Right. So if your kid is um, super talker, that's great. If your kid uses assistive technology, that's great. Mm -hmm. If your kid uses a lot of body language and gestures, great. That's great. Yeah. Whatever that system is, your advocate needs to be able to listen to that. Well, and, you know, regardless of what your student's communication style is, they still communicate, right? Right. They still have a way of communicating regardless what it looks like. Right. Exactly. 
Um, prepared to meet the we can't support your student in gen ed argument. Yeah. I'll just leave that there. Yeah. That's <laughs> nothing more. Um, knows the research and anecdotal information that proves the efficacy of inclusion. Right. You want somebody who can. Right. Who can quote that kind of stuff. And also who can help school districts answer the question. How can we blank? Because too often it's we, we can't do this and that won't work. And we've tried that. We've tried that. And so really, instead of talking about what we can't do, a great advocate is going to help us figure out what we can do and right. how we can do it. Um, so really looking towards that solution, being solution oriented so that inclusion can happen right. um, in a particular setting. So um, those are our top five. Right. We would love to hear your yeah. <laughs> we would love to hear your top five, or even maybe something that that we missed that we didn't get in our top five. Even if it's just one, like hey, Tina and Hetty, but this is important to me too, and um, and we would love to hear that. Like, yeah, there's we probably could have a twenty page long list, but um, we also know that. I mean, we would love for you to listen to us 24-7, but we also know that you have a life. <laughs> we well, love for you to come just sit in here with the room. Right, with us exactly. While we record yeah. and just all chat together. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, that would be fun. So, um, so if you have another thing that you think should be on this top list, um, you can hop on our Facebook page and just type it in there, and we'd be so excited about that. We'd be so excited. We would love to yeah. get some comments or really just feedback that would be fabulous we're going to post on facebook a couple of um, resources to help you locate an advocate um, if you're here local um, in fort collins um, or in larimer county we recommend the arc of larimer county and we also um, obviously since we've talked about it <laughs> dropped his name about 18 times um, matt cloven who um, has peace wolf advocacy and consulting, consulting. yeah um, and so those are some places locally that we would recommend to you. And I also would like want to extend too, if if there's an advocate that you've worked with that we didn't mention, please yep. put that on our Facebook too. Like we, you know, we want as much information to be out there for you all um, always. Yeah. So, yeah. So our hope is that our next episode is going to be about self-advocacy um, and there'll be guests involved, a guest at least, maybe yeah. more than one guest. We'll see. We'll see. Um, and so we'd love for you to hop on then because you want to have tools if you're currently a parent advocate or a family advocate or what whatever your role is um part of the work that you're doing is teaching your person your loved person how to become their own advocate and so hearing that straight from young people young adults who are yeah. doing it on their own is going to be well and i want to also add to that if you're a teacher for listening thank you and yeah. uh, it's important for you to hear too these self-advocates and because you play an important role um, in in our children's lives every day too. So um, I wanted to add that part too. Yeah, that's <laughs> she's so smart. Um, so I think with that, that brings episode five to a close. Wow. Um, just thanks again for listening. We are early enough in this that like every single listen excites us. So totally. Um, please keep listening. You have no idea. We send text messages back and forth. Like, did you see we got another listener? Like, yeah. I mean, it, it it's it's awesome. So yeah. we really appreciate it. And please spread the word. Um, tell all your friends, your family members. Um, but thank you again. Yeah. Like us on Facebook. And we'll be back in a couple weeks with a new episode. And this is Hetty. And this is Tina. And this is Love and Inclusion in, in the, the Real, real World. world.